The proxy war in Ukraine continues. February 2023 is the year anniversary of this new phase of the conflict. But this war really goes back to 2014 when the U.S. backed a coup in Ukraine that overthrew its elected government. And meanwhile, the conflict continues to escalate. The Secretary General of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, has warned publicly that it could escalate into a conventional war, a direct military war between the United States and Russia, between NATO and Russia. So the potential for this to, to become a, a global disaster is something that we should not discount. And meanwhile, there are prominent Western intellectuals who are acknowledging that this is essentially World War III. This is precisely what a prominent French public intellectual has been arguing. His name is Emmanuel Todd, and he did an interview about this in French. I translated some of the main points into English, and I published it over at geopoliticaleconomy.com. There is a link to it in the description below where you can find all of the sources that I discuss in the episode today. Now, this was an interview that this French public intellectual Todd, that he, he did with the major French newspaper, Le Figaro. And it's based on a book that he published. But at this moment, the book is only available in Japan. It was published in Japan in 2022. And it's literally called The Third World War Has Started. La Troisième Guerre Mondiale a commencé. And so in this interview, the French intellectual made some very interesting points that if they were said by, you know, an independent journalist, they would be smeared as like so-called Russian disinformation or whatever. He, this French intellectual, Todd, he said that the proxy war in Ukraine is existential, not only for Russia, but also for the United States, because it is challenging what he referred to as the U.S. imperial system. He said that the failure of the West to crush Russia's economy shows, I'm reading as an exact quote, the resistance of the Russian economy is pushing the American imperial system toward the precipice. And he added that, quote, that he added that, that if the U.S. loses in the proxy war in Ukraine, quote, the American monetary and financial controls of the world would collapse. He also said that because the U.S. empire is declining in, in influence, it's weakening, that that means that the U.S. is trying to expand its control over certain regions of the world that he referred to as its most important protectorates. And he said that this is leading Washington to, quote, strengthen its hold on its initial protectorates, Europe and Japan. He says that that means that Germany and France have become minor partners in NATO. The U.S. has basically taken away their sovereignty. And he said NATO now is really a, quote, Washington, London, Warsaw, Kiev block. And he also said that, this is an exact quote, Western newspapers are tragically funny. They don't stop saying Russia is isolated. Russia is isolated. But when we look at the votes at the United Nations, we see that 75% of the world does not follow the West, which then seems very small. And he also criticized Western neoclassical economists and their GDP measurements. He said that they constantly downplay the size of Russia's productive capacities in its economy. And they said that instead, these Western economic metrics are all based on over-exaggerated GDP measurements that incorporate, you know, uh, finance 
that does not actually contribute to production. And he pointed out that when you look at the, you know, the Russian economy, it has been able to adapt to sanctions because it is a very state-led economy that is built around production and not around finance and speculation, comparing it to the U.S. neoliberal financialized economy. So I think it's really interesting. It shows that within Europe, there is some dissent over this proxy conflict we see between NATO led by the U.S. on one side and Russia between essentially the West and Russia and China as an extension. And we see very clearly that France has produced several public intellectuals and even some former diplomats who have been outspoken. I think out of all the countries in Europe, France does have this tendency that goes back to Charles de Gaulle, the famous nationalist leader who was very critical of NATO. He was critical of the United States. He wanted, I mean, he was a French imperialist. He wanted France to be its own separate independent power of U.S. imperialism. So he, he wasn't necessarily motivated by anti-imperialism at all. But the fact that within Europe, there is very little opposition to U.S. imperialism. Given that fact, I think it's important to, to, to analyze what some of these French intellectuals and politicians are saying. Now, I did a separate episode recently that I'll link to in the description below about the former French ambassador to the United States, Gérard Arrault. He also made comments about how the U.S. is waging a new Cold War on China that is destabilizing Europe. He acknowledged that the proxy war with Russia is doing serious damage to the European economy. He also said that the so-called rules-based order that the U.S. constantly talks about really just means a U.S.-dominated order that violates international law. So it's well known that in France there is a kind of deep-seated anti-Americanism, and that's what I want to explore today in the, these very interesting comments made by Emmanuel Todd. Because again, why am I doing this? Because you can't read it in English because it's only in French, and there aren't any English translations. So let's... I'm just going to go through chronologically in this interview and go through some of the main points. And he starts the interview saying that this is the reality. World War III has begun. He says, it is true that it started small and with two surprises. We went into this war in Ukraine, he's talking about, with the idea that the Russian army was very powerful and that its economy was very weak. It was thought that Ukraine was going to be crushed militarily and that Russia would be crushed economically by the West. But the reverse happened. Ukraine was not crushed militarily, even though it lost 16% of its territory. Russia was not crushed economically. As I speak to you, the ruble has gained 8% against the dollar and 18% against the euro since the day of the start of the war. So there was a sort of misunderstanding but it was obvious that the conflict, passing from a limited territorial war to a global economic confrontation between the whole of the West on one hand and Russia backed by China on the other, has become a world war. Even if military violence is low compared to that of previous world wars. So note that he says this is a world war between the whole of the West on one hand and Russia backed by China on the other hand. And then the journalist at the French newspaper, Le Figaro, asked, he said, aren't you exaggerating a little bit? 
And then Dodd replied and he said, well, we still provide weapons. We kill Russians, even if we don't expose ourselves. But it remains true that we Europeans are above all economically engaged. We also feel our true ent entry into war through inflation and shortages. I argue in this piece that he actually downplayed the degree of Western involvement in this proxy war. Um, for instance, we know that the CIA and NATO are carrying out sabotage attacks inside Russia. I did a separate uh, video and podcast and article about that. I will link to that in the description below. That's, that's from a journalist in the United States, Jack, um, Jack Murphy, who has worked with, he's a U.S. veteran, he's worked with U.S. Special Operations Forces and Intelligence. He has links inside the intelligence community. We also know because of a report in the New York Times that the CIA and Special Operations Forces from numerous European governments are physically on the ground in Ukraine overseeing the proxy war, directing Ukrainian forces, overseeing their intelligence, uh, training them, obviously arming them with many billions of dollars. So he, he's, he's actually downplaying just how much the West is waging a, a war pretty much directly against Russia via Ukraine and even inside Russia's own territory. But anyway, let me continue, go back to this interview here. So he continues and this French intellectual, Emmanuel Todd, he continues and he says that Putin made a big mistake early on. Those who worked on Ukraine on the eve of the war considered the country not as a fledgling democracy, but as a society in decay and a failed state in the making. So he's acknowledging that even in the West, the Europeans who now fetishize and worship Ukraine as some kind of symbol of democracy, he acknowledged that before Russia invaded in February 2022, they acknowledged that Ukraine was not a dem democracy. It was a failed state. And, and I would add that that was because of the 2014 U.S. coup. But anyway, he, can, he continues. This is, again, this French intellectual saying, quote, I think the, Kremlin, the Kremlin's calculation was that this decaying society would crumble at the first shock and would even say, welcome, mom, to Russia. But what we have discovered on the contrary is a society is that a society in decomposition, if it is fed by external financial and military resources, can find in a war a new type of balance. So the Russians could not have foreseen it. No one could. No one could. So he's saying that Ukraine was basically on the verge of being a failed state. But by invading it, Russia, ironically, actually helped strengthen Ukraine with these Western governments just pouring billions of dollars in and weapons in. Dodd said that he agrees with the U.S. political scientist John Mersheimer, who's a realist. He's criticized a lot of hawkish U.S. foreign policy. And he said that um, basically Ukraine has been a member of NATO, a de facto member since 2014. And he notes that in this sense, from Russia's point of view, this war is defensive and preventative. But he actually said that he, that Mersheimer does not go far enough in his analysis. And this is where Dodd argues that what Mersheimer doesn't take into account is that basically Europe has become a colony of the U.S. empire. And keep in mind here, we're, we're, I'm reading here quotes from a prominent French public intellectual. He's one of the most well-known anthropologists and historians in France. He does a lot of interviews. He's a major public figure. So these are not my words. These are his words. Quote, 
Germany and France had become minor partners in NATO and were not aware of what was going on in Ukraine on the military level. French and German naivete has been criticized because our governments did not believe in the possibility of a Russian invasion. True, but because they did not know that Americans, British, and Poles could make Ukraine be able to wage a larger war. The fundamental axis of NATO now is Washington, London, Warsaw, Kiev. He's saying that, that NATO now really is the US, Britain, Poland, and Ukraine. And then Todd argues, this French intellectual argues, that John Mersheimer, like a good American, overestimates his country. He considers that if for the Russians the war in Ukraine is existential, for the Americans it is nothing but a power game, among others. After Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan, one debacle more or less, what does it matter? The basic axiom of American geopolitics is we can do whatever we want because we are sheltered far away between two oceans. Nothing will ever happen to us. Nothing would be existential for America. Insufficiency of analysis, which today leads Biden to a series of reckless actions. America is fragile. The resistance of the Russian economy is pushing the American imperial system toward the precipice. No one had expected that the Russian economy would hold up against the economic power of NATO. I believe that the Russians themselves did not anticipate it. So I want to point out once again, this is a very major mainstream respected French public intellectual. He's doing this interview in a mainstream newspaper. You could compare to like, I don't know, the Washington Post or something, right? This is not a fringe independent journalist. This is not independent media. And he refers to the U.S. as an empire. And he says that the U.S. imperial system is being pushed toward the precipice by the resistance of Russia to these Western sanctions. And what this means is that the U.S. economy is now at risk because the U.S. has relied on this economic hegemony being the issuer of the global reserve currency. So then he continues in this interview, he says, quote, if the Russian economy resisted the sanctions indefinitely and managed to exhaust the European economy while itself remained backed by China, the American monetary and financial controls of the world would collapse. And with them, the possibility for the United States to fund its huge trade deficit for nothing. This war has therefore become existential for the United States. No more than Russia, they cannot withdraw from the conflict. They cannot let go. That is why we are now in an endless war, in a confrontation whose outcome must be the collapse of one or the other. So these are very powerful words here. I mean, he's saying that we're, we are in World War III, and the only solution is that either the Russian government collapses or the U.S. government collapses. And he's saying that if the Russian economy can withstand these sanctions and the, the, the proxy war in Ukraine drags on, that it means the end of, quote, American monetary and financial controls of the world. And that means that the U.S. can no longer maintain its massive trade deficit, which means it can no longer maintain its deindustrialized neoliberal financial capitalist model which is based on a trade deficit because it imports all of these products that are produced around the world 
and it's based on a service economy and a, and a consumer economy and financial speculation. So again, this guy is not an economist. He's an anthropologist and a historian, but he can see very clearly what is happening in the world. Unlike a lot of these neoclassical economists who are, you know, just stuck in with neoliberal ideology. Not to mention, you know, so-called political scientists who are, you know, uh, just on another planet, excluding a few honorable exceptions like John Mersheimer. So he continues here in this interview. Again, this is the French public intellectual Emmanuel Todd. He says, everywhere we see the weakening of the United States, but not in Europe and Japan, because one of the effects of the retraction of the imperial system is that the United States strengthens its hold on its initial protectorates. So he's saying that while the U.S. empire is weakening elsewhere, the U.S. empire is strengthening its control over Europe and Japan. Then he says, if we read Zbigniew Brzezinski, and Brzezinski was the former U.S. Uh, national security advisor for Jimmy Carter, a major figure, a statesman, an imperial statesman, and uh, an imperial strategist for the United States, who was a theorist for how the U.S. empire could continue to expand, and he helped oversee the U.S. strategy of the proxy war in Afghanistan in the 1980s, the proxy war against the Soviet Union, what he famously called the Afghan trap. Anyway, what this French intellectual says here, he says, if we read Zbigniew Brzezinski and his book, The Grand Chessboard, we see that the American empire was formed at the end of the Second World War by the conquest of Germany and Japan, which are still protectorates today. So he's saying that, that Germany and Japan don't have full sovereignty. Of course, they're still militarily occupied by tens of thousands of U.S. troops. Todd says, as the American system shrinks, it weighs more and more heavily on the local elites of the protectorates. And I include all of Europe here. So he's saying that all of Europe is a protectorate of the U.S. empire. And then he says, the first to lose all national autonomy will be or already are the English and the Australians. So Britain and Australia. The Internet has produced such human. The Internet has produced human interaction with the United States in the Anglosphere of such intensity that its academic media and artistic elites are, so to speak, annexed by the United States. And then he says on the European continent, we are somewhat protected by our national languages, but the fall in our autonomy is considerable and rapid. So he's saying here that the U.S. empire controls Europe, basically. And as an example of, of how much the U.S. has basically colonized Europe just in the past 20 years, Todd points out that as recently as the beginning of the Iraq war, France and Germany were publicly speaking out against the U.S. invasion of Iraq. And he points out that former French president Jacques Chirac and the former German chancellor Gerhard Schroeder uh, the, the, the two of them together were holding joint press conferences with Vladimir Putin. Again, Chirac, the French president, Schroeder, the German chancellor, and Vladimir Putin held press conferences 20 years ago condemning the U.S. war in Iraq. Can you imagine anything remotely like that today? Of course not. So he's pointing out that, I mean, Europe has become less and less sovereign. So in response to this, over at the French newspaper, Le Figaro, the journalist overseeing this interview, Alexandre de Vecchio, he, he countered and he said, 
Many observers point out that Russia has the GDP of Spain. Aren't you overestimating its economic power and resilience? And here, Emmanuel Todd, he criticizes this use of nominal GDP. It's an awful measurement. These, you know, Western economists constantly, they measure the size of foreign economies using dollars as if people in Russia use dollars. In fact, if you look at purchasing power parity, Russia's economy is significantly larger. Here's data from the World Bank showing the GDP of countries around the world measured with purchasing power parity. It shows that China, this is as of 2021, China had the largest economy at 27 trillion, the US the second largest, 23 trillion, India the third largest economy at 10 trillion, Japan the fourth largest at 5 trillion, Germany the sixth largest at nearly 5 trillion, and Russia basically tied with Germany at nearly 5 trillion as well. So if you do purchasing power parity, you get a much better measurement of the size of the Russian economy. And Emmanuel Todd made a similar point in his response. He said that, that nominal GDP is a fictional measure of production. He just criticized the concept of GDP as a whole, which, I mean, economists in general, they're way too heavily reliant on GDP. It's a very blunt instrument. It doesn't measure inequality. It doesn't measure the quality of economic growth, the quality of economic activity. Instead, it just, you know, for instance, people who pay loans, uh, pay interest on loans to banks, that goes to GDP. So if you have a, a financialized economy, as Michael Hudson constantly talks about, that's based on rent extraction and paying interest, that goes to your GDP growth. It's not, a, it's not genuine you know, high quality economic growth. Anyway, so Todd argues here, he responds, he says, war becomes a test of political economy. It is the great revealer. The GDP of Russia and Belarus represents 3.3% of Western GDP when you consider the US, the Anglosphere, Europe, Japan, and South Korea combined. Practically nothing. One can ask oneself how this insignificant GDP can cope and continue to produce missiles. Missiles. The reason is that GDP is a fictional measure of production. If we take away from the American GDP, that's the US GDP, half of its overbilled health spending, then the wealth produced in scare quotes by the activity of its lawyers, by the, by the most filled prisons of the world, then, then by an entire economy of ill-defined services, including the so-called production, of its 15 to 20,000 economists with an average salary of 120,000 US dollars, we realize that an important part of this GDP is water vapor. So he's saying that once again, the, a huge part of the so-called productive US economy is actually not productive. It's based on this privatized for-profit bureaucratic health system where the US spends twice as much as other rich countries in the in the OECD and has worse results, but that contributes to the GDP of the United States or the prison industry or its lawyers, its massive law industry. Then you can see that the U.S. is actually it's the size of the economy is not based largely on production. And then Todd says war brings us back to the real economy. It allows us to understand what the real wealth of nations is, the capacity for production, and therefore the capacity for war. And here he, he argues that Russia, on the other hand, 
its economy is different because it has significant state control. He notes that the Russian economy has a very large role for the state. And that allows the Russian economy to adapt. So he points out, Emmanuel Todd, he says, if we come back to material variables, we see the Russian economy. In 2014, the West put in place the first important sanctions against Russia. But then it, it increased its wheat production, which went from 40 to 90 million tons in 2020. So in five years after the imposition of Western sanctions on Russia over the proxy war in Ukraine, Russia, which began in 2014, by the way, with the U.S. coup, not. And then Russia annexed Crimea after a democratic referendum in which even Western polling firms acknowledged that more than 90 percent of Crimeans wanted to join the Russian Federation. That was the real beginning of the proxy war in Ukraine. Anyway, the point is that he says that Russia was able to expand its wheat production by more than double in five years because of significant state control over the economy. And he says, meanwhile, thanks to neoliberalism, U.S. wheat production from 1980 until 2000 decreased. It halved from 80 to 40 million tons. So once again, neoliberal capitalism is based on financialization and speculation, not actual economic production. He's contrasting the Russian state-led industrial economy, which, yes, is capitalist, but it is not the same kind of corporate-controlled system in which in the U.S., where corporations determine what the state does, whereas in Russia, it's the state determines what corporations do. And he says that Russia has therefore a real capacity to adapt. He says in the West, when we want to make fun of centralized economies, we emphasize their rigidity. And when we glorify capitalism, we praise its flexibility. And he's, he's saying that, you know, Russia, even though it's no longer a socialist economy like the Soviet Union, it is still a centralized economy largely. And he says the Russian economy, for its part, has accepted the rules of the operation of the market. So he's saying that, yeah, it's now a market economy and it's an, uh, an obsession of Putin to preserve them, but with a very large role for the state. But it also derives its flexibility from training engineers who allow the industrial and military adaptations. So he also says that the difference is that the U.S. has you know, a much bigger population and, and educational sector, but in Russia, 20% of students are studying engineering and there's more emphasis on science and engineering and math. So he's saying that, you know, that in the long term, even though Russia's economy might be much smaller, it's w w able to adapt to these, these circumstances much better than the Western neoliberal economies. And I point out that this is actually very similar to the argument made by the economist Michael Hudson, who says that the new Cold War is, like the first Cold War, a, an economic conflict, a battle of economic systems. Of course, the, the Chinese socialist model, but also Russia represents a state-led industrial capitalist model that is more similar to the kind of old school merc merc mercantilist models, right? Compared to the Western neoliberal financialized capitalist models. So those are the very interesting comments made by this French intellectual Emmanuel Todd. He said all of this in an interview with the major French newspaper, La Figaro, and this is based on his book, 
the Third World War has begun, la Troisième Guerre Mondiale a commencé, and I have links to the interview and other sources in my article over at geopoliticaleconomy.com. I link to that in the description below. I just wanted to review this because, again, I, I said earlier that France represents a kind of outlier historically in Europe, where there's sometimes more criticism of the United States. And we see now with, you know, media uniformity, no dissent, no opposition in the media, he represents a very rare voice that is criticizing this Western proxy war in Ukraine and pointing out that it's not going to turn out well for Europe. And it might not even turn out well for the United States itself. Unfortunately, that, that's not available. The interview is not available in English. That's why I translated the main parts of it. So I'm Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. If you like the work that we do, you can go to patreon.com slash geopolitical economy. And any support that you can provide goes a long way. Please consider subscribing and we'll see you all next time. Thanks a lot.